What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode eight of Meme Goofing with Bailey. It took a few weeks off, but we're back. This week, I was joined by Mina Kimes. We talked about her path to where she is today, dunking on haters on Twitter, and peeing in the shower. Enjoy. All right, so... I say this every time. This is like a quarantine coronavirus COVID started podcast. So like the first question that I always ask is just like, how are you? How are you doing with everything going on? I'm good. I, I think being where we are in the pandemic, it's sort of just become normal life at this point. So now it's going to be really yeah. weird coming out of it whenever that happens. But I definitely have a very normal, regular schedule, maybe more than some. Um, and yeah, it's just like, daily. I'm just used to it now, frankly. Yeah, I know that was I feel I feel the same exact way because I, I stayed just home for a while. Like my parents were like, Oh, come down to North Carolina, but they live down in North Carolina. And they're like, come down and stay. And I was like, I want to just kind of like stay put to try to get into a routine because I was still working from home. And then I didn't have a job anymore because the, the XFL exploded. And then I was like, Okay, maybe I'll take a little bit of time and I'll go down to Carolina. But it was nice. Like I felt like I was finally getting into the groove. And then it was gone. And now I'm kind of back in a groove. But I don't I'm not really the type of person who falls into a groove even when I should be. But to kind of get back into like that normalizing, like this is becoming normal. So like, how do you feel like sports are, you know, slowly like creeping back toward returning? How do you feel just generally about that? Mixed, conflicted, excited, terrified, um, especially in the capacity of my job, not uh, doing podcasts where we kind of give the news, but giving analysis and takes. I mean, I am asked for my job to give the opportunity, asked is the wrong word, to go on TV and give opinions, right? But it's a lot easier for me to give an opinion over, about which quarterback's going to dominate the NFC South than it is, hey, is it a good idea to have an NBA bubble? I don't fucking know, man. Like, I, yeah. I, I do the best I can. I read, I listen, I think about it. But ultimately, none of us are, none of us in this industry are experts in any of this. And we're doing our best to critically evaluate sort of the decision-making process, but it's a very incomplete set of information. So if you had to give yourself like on a scale of one to 10, like how kind of just generally prepared you felt to comment? Because I mean, you, I feel like, I mean, I'm going to, I guess, try to explain you to you, which is always a great thing yeah. to do to your guests on a podcast. But I feel like, like you've always, like you haven't always been just sports. You know what I mean? Like you have been comfortable kind of commentating on other things. So how, do you think you kind of felt more prepared maybe than some others for this or... Do you think you were able to kind of find your groove with it at all or? Yeah, you know, before I started working at ESPN, I was a business journalist. I worked at Fortune Magazine, then Bloomberg Business Week. Uh, so in some ways, yes, because a large part of this uh, discussion about bringing sports back has been financial, especially with baseball, right, over the last couple of months. Mm. Perhaps it should have been less financial and should have been more uh, focused on the health side of things. And I think baseball is realizing that now. But that part of the discussion has been uh, if, more in my wheelhouse, perhaps, you know, like looking at numbers, thinking about the money, because money is the only reason any of this is happening, right? Of course. Um, yeah. But I do not have a scientific background to call on. I mean, I didn't even take science in college. I took one, one real science class all of college, an issues approach to biology. And now I'm what, on TV. What was that? Yeah. What was that? Do you remember anything from that <laughs> curriculum? Because that sounds like does, that sounds like an interesting class. Sounds like a prereq, maybe. It was a pre. Uh, we had like to satisfy a certain group, and it was there were like some obvious science classes that all the dumb kids who were dumb at science took, like myself. 
such as uh, natural hazards, also known as Natty oh, okay. Has. Natty, yeah, that's such class. a cool name for a class, Natty yeah. Has. That's, that's cool. cool. Yeah, it's basically all like athletes and like liberal arts kids like me were in these classes, right? Um, so issues of biology, actually it was really interesting because I remember there was um, part segments of the class were like on drugs, you know, like the kind of stuff you'd use, like, you know, when they, um, when moms get books on like how to trick your kids into eating vegetables by mm -hmm. making them look like candy. I feel like this was the class equivalent of that. Um, I've retained probably zero information though from that. Uh, in any case, yeah. So I'm, I'm talking about science on TV now. It's great. Yeah, I was going. I was just like racking my brain while trying to listen at the same time, which isn't my specialty, but I promise I listened. But I think my class that I took, my like science fulfillment was like great archaeological discoveries, I that's believe was the name it. of that, which was cool. Like it was like you learned about like the uh, the, like the Easter Island stuff and we learned about like other like a bunch of like was Lucy something like Lucy, like a cave woman or a caveman just or something. graduated. I feel like, yeah, right? I feel like I probably should remember because I graduated three years ago. Yeah, but I took this oh, freshman right. year of college back when I was a I was a, a t I was a broadcast major at that point. And then I realized yeah. that I was not good enough, which is ironic. And now that I'm saying I wasn't good enough for that on my podcast, but I switched I, over to the writing side. Yeah. Yeah. I thought about, I remember I took, now it's all coming back to me, like a, just a wave of memories. I, um, syllabi just flying through your head right now from these classes. Well, I still have the, the dream where you signed up for a class and you don't remember, you forgot that you signed up for it. And then it's the end yeah. and you're desperately trying to, I have that dream mm -hmm. all the time. A class that I thought I was going to take to satisfy the requirement before I took the science one was um, astronomy, not astrology. Something you should look up before showing up for the class. Love that. And on the first day, so you could see the wave of kids like myself being like, oh, fuck. And, you know, the first day the teacher comes out and they're like, this is not astronomy. And there's going to be math. And I'm like, you know, I mean, whatever. I took calc in high school. so. I, all I remember is on that very first day, the math coming out and they were like, you know, and there's going to be exponents. And I was like, fucking exponents? E? Like I, I've, I told myself in high school, I would never have to engage with any of these concepts for the rest of my life. And I just got up and walked out. Yeah, I know. I think I took, sta I, I took stats online and had a oh. considerable amount of assistance from a friend of mine because I took it over the summer. But I remember taking stats because in my brain, I think I mean, I'm 21, 20 years old at this point. I'm like, oh, stats. I like sports. I love like NBA stats. Very I'm like, good. this is going to be perfect. And it took about four minutes and I think three weeks of me blowing off my online assignments to realize that it probably was not the class for me. Um, so to transition past how we somehow ended up in a segment talking about our college classes. So the way you and I kind of got to know each other through like the internet, through Twitter and stuff is, you know, through like the Levitard show when I took over the account that weekend and, you know, we had some fun and some back and forths and stuff. And I talked to Mike Golick about this when I had him on. I talked to Katie about this when I had her on. Um, I have, I'm having Mike, uh, Mike on in a couple of weeks. So I'll be talking to him, of course, about this too. But like, what's it like kind of, cause you're very connected to them. Obviously you're on the show, you're on everything, but like, what's it like being part of that just general universe of, of all of them? I mean, the guys on the show and then just like the fans as well who are definitely engaged. Um, my first, I guess, exposure, well, first I met Dan Levitard in New York and then I went down to Miami. I want to say maybe 2016, 20, mm -hmm. no, I think 2017 was when I first started doing the radio show. And this was before I was on television regularly. I did have a weekend radio show with Dominique Foxworth and Clinton Yates. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wasn't a listener. 
So I didn't know mm-hmm. what I was walking into and I'm really prepared. I feel really anxious when I'm not prepared and you cannot prepare for that show. So it was like this yeah. super chaotic, bizarre environment. Um, but Dan is so good at like bringing people into his world. And once you're there and making you feel welcome and also like the things that you're bad at are somehow your strengths. Like mm-hmm. one of the bits I had early on doing that show that persists to the day is that I'm just terrible at the mechanics of doing radio. Like I would just talk over people, get hard networked out, stuff like that. Uh-huh. And um, kind of the people in that world of that show are really good at making you see those things as things you don't have to hide or get better at and that being smooth and polished is not necessarily the goal. So that was a really important realization for me and all, all things I do, frankly. Of course. Um, since then, you know, they've just all become great friends. I spent a ton of time in Miami because I used to do uh, Highly Questionable, which is the TV show I do, used to be hmm. done in person in Miami. So I would spend like a week in Miami every six weeks or so. Um, and yeah, I just got to be really good friends with, I mean, Mike Ryan and I talk all the time. Um, and I, I, I miss hanging out with those guys, honestly. Uh, as far as the fans of the show, they're fascinating because I always compare it to like how George R. R. Martin, how his fans constantly correct him on getting stuff wrong and are also yeah. like maybe more obsessed with Game of Thrones than George R. R. Martin. That's kind of how I feel about the Levitar fan. I mean, this wholly positive oh, yeah. way because that sort of, devotion engagement is really rare in sports it's really rare with a mainstream product and i think we see it now more with podcasts but um it's a very special thing and they're very special people and yeah like i like mike i got fired i want to say late late off at like noon on april 10th and i think at one o'clock mike dm'd me and mind you, we like knew each other very loosely. Like we did not know each other very well at all. Like we had DM'd a few times. He just seemed like a really nice guy. He like was very kind to me a couple of times, quote tweeted and was like, oh, one of my favorite followers this year got me a bunch of followers, which was awesome. And because that's pretty much the only measurable metric I measure by my, myself by at this point. So it always helps a lot. And I then, that, yeah, oh, exactly. And then he DM'd me and was like, oh, want to take over the account this weekend? And I was like, oh, like what, what do you mean? Like what account? He's like, oh, the Levitar Show account. I'm like, oh. And I like looked and it had more followers than the XFL count that I was like already trusted with. So I was like, oh, okay, stepping in right away. And I think like two hours later, I was able to take that over and like, just like texted me the password, texted the name. And just like, I think for me, it was big because like him having that trust with me, like was big for me. And I was like, whoa, like this is someone who knows what they're doing is really good at their job, has established like they're, they, they play fast and loose and it's fun. And if I was absolutely horrific and awful and messed it up, which maybe I was, but like they, like they would have been okay with that and it would have just become a bit, but I was still so thankful that they let me in. And a lot of the people who like followed me on my personal Twitter from then are still some of my most engaged followers now. Like they're the people who are always liking stuff, retweeting stuff, replying, trying to talk to me. And it's just like, I don't think there is another kind of community like a fostered community like that that i can think of especially for like a radio show or even really a podcast like maybe like those crooked media guys like their followers or lunatics and and ride for them but outside of that i can't really think of anyone else which was just i mean i'm, I'm i just feel very lucky that he let me be a part of it for the weekend you know that's great yeah they're really positive for the most part i know a lot right. of people who come in don't feel that way um yeah necessarily but i i think so i think um there there is they're more diverse than a lot of Mm-hmm. crowds there's a lot of women too which i think is really which is awesome awesome yeah. um and yeah i i just love they they're they just 
so much of that fan base is centered on the, the same idea I think that a lot of the show is centered on, which is, isn't it great to have an inside joke with your friends? Yes. And I think everyone feels like they're part of it. It's the you get the show concept. And I think it's yes. a really beautiful concept to build around. Absolutely. So to backtrack a little bit, a question that I always ask that I totally skipped over is okay. like, we talk a lot about kind of like origin stories. I just, I think I find that some of the most, especially in sports media, some of like the most successful mm -hmm. people kind of came from different places and weird places and like non-traditional routes. So I know you mentioned that you worked at Fortune and, and for Bloomberg before. So like kind of what did your, what did your process kind of like look like to end up where you are now? Yeah, um, ESPN hired me in 2014. So it's been six years, which is crazy. Um, I was a business journalist, but pretty much all my social media was uh, about football, mm -hmm. dumb memes to connect to your show. Um, yes. and, and then I wrote something that Slate republished. And so some folks at the magazine reached out to me and said, seems like you are pretty into football, even though you're like a hardcore investigative business journalist, seems like you like this more. Um, so I joined the ESPN as a writer, it's kind of like a quarter life career change, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which was scary because I, you know, I never thought I would work in sports. And I, when I joined, I wasn't doing radio or TV or any of that. I was just a writer for the first couple of mm -hmm. years or so. And like I said, it was around 2017 that I really started doing more television. Wow, that was only three years ago. That's crazy. That's when I graduated college. Um, and then was, yeah, I know, right? So was it something necessarily that you like was, was, was hoping would come up? Was it something that you were doing on the side that you thought would always be on the side or oh. just kind of out of nowhere? Or was it something you really wanted to do? It was not something I aspired to at all, which I, uh, I think is kind of rare these days to like find hobbies that are purely hobbies without yeah. any hopes of something to come out of it. And, and that's not even a career thing, right? Like because I'm about to get like maybe fake deep, but I hope let's do it. I'll make a good point. So much of our lives, I think what's unique about living in this moment is that um, so much of our lives are like performed, right? In that like our mm -hmm. tastes, our likes, our jokes, our friends, everything is on display for other people to say. And I think that mediates our true expression of ourself. Like when you were 12, you liked the band because you liked the band. Now you like a band, but you're also showing people and sharing and maybe hoping to attract some people or, you know, convey taste or whatever. So I, I think it's like really rare these days to just like things to like them and have hobbies to have them and not want to share them with the world. But that's how football was for me for a really long time. Um, I will say social media played a big part in me. Like I said, I posted dumb football tweets. Yeah. And I think some of that was certainly, you know, wanting people to see that, I guess. I don't know who. But it was also a real mechanism for me to meet other people. Like one of my really good friends, um, Danny Kelly, now he writes for The Ringer. But back when I was a business mm -hmm. journalist, he used to be a Seahawks blogger. And we became friends and like did weird podcasts together and like really arcane fucking like pra Seahawks practice squad breakdowns, you know, like yeah. in 2010. And you can really develop an authentic community, I think. And I think sometimes that's kind of missing, right? But that was a big part of it for me early on. Yeah, I mean, it's just similar. I, I've heard you like talk about that before and it's just similar. Like I got my start, like I went to journalism school, but I was teaching English and just like, like cringe posting Nick's memes that I made in like MS Paint. No, it wasn't MS Paint. I like definitely torrented like a version of photo, like, like 
Photoshop like 2003. And like, I remember looking up tutorials and like not being able to get any tutorials because it was like pre YouTube, basically the Photoshop <laughs> I was using, but very similar, just doing something that I did just to kind of do it. And then I realized, oh wait, I can get paid. Cause I, I mean, again, I only graduated college a few years ago, but I never took a social media class or like I didn't that exists now? work. It, yeah. I mean, I'm actually working with Marist College in Poughkeepsie, which is where I'm from to design the curriculum for a sports social media class, which is pretty sweet. Um, because like, I think I would have liked to take that class. I mean, I, God knows what yeah. I'm going to talk about. Um, I'm excited I know for it. People in their 50s, 30s, 50s, you should definitely take that class. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm hoping like maybe send it out there on Twitter and say, Hey guys, I can maybe help some of you, some, some of you out here because there's a lot of, uh, well, that's like an interesting thing too. And I think, you know, like you have, you've been, you said working for ESPN for how long you have, like, there's a ton of people who are very, and I worked at Sports Illustrated and there were a ton of people I worked with at Sports Illustrated who definitely fit this this mold of like very good at their jobs, very good writers, great reporters, but like just truly don't know how to use Twitter. And then there's like Tom Verducci, who's like, I'm not going to try. And like, I like I respect it. He's like, I'm not even going to be on there. I'm not going to try. I'm going to continue. I'm sure Sports Illustrated probably wishes they had the clicks that Tom Verducci would generate from Twitter. But like, there's the people like that, but then there's the people who do give it a shot and just doesn't go too well. So that is a really interesting idea. Maybe I can try to teach a class to people older than me on how to make memes or how to post well, memes on Twitter. I, I think for people, I, well, I think this applies to all generations, but something that needs to be taught or we all are trying and mostly failing to figure out is the mental health side of it. And I know oh, yeah. from talking to older colleagues as well, um, like imagine being like a fucking awesome writer and you're a great sports writer. And for most of your adult life, you've just written great stories. And then the people you care, like whose opinions you care about in the industry or whatever, you get feedback from them. Now you have a bunch of people just telling you you suck or yeah. you see things you don't respect rewarded. And that's really disorienting. And I think we all, I think probably myself included, struggle with how to compartmentalize that, how to assess what truly matters. But I think that's something that can be really hard for people who are late to it too. Yeah. And I mean, I, I grew up with like my friend, like us being mean to each other, being mean to on the internet, oh. strangers just obliterating me constantly. Like I don't know Twitter as or any, I don't know my work as not being like heavily critiqued by strangers. Like I just don't, it's just something I don't know. I think I'm I mean, who knows? I'm a I'm a mess. So maybe it's maybe it is a bad thing. But I I think I've grown from it. But kind of to talk about like you kind of personal on social media. Like you obviously you have a ton of followers on there, a ton of replies and everything comes with that. So how do you personally decide when it's worth just dunking on someone and just like lighting up someone who's being dumb versus ignoring it? Because I feel like you always pick the right person to dunk on, and I'm just curious where that comes from. Well, let's see. Here's a tweet I just got. Yeah. I think might be a good test case for what you're describing. All right. Someone tweeted at me. I'll just read it. This is a little bit of a humble brag at the top. Oh, okay. Let's you're hear a beautiful white white. Don't know what a white white is. Can That's you right please there. tell me what you know about experiencing racism? Wish us white people. So it's a white guy would stop with this hashtag white guilt BS. I don't know what a white white is. I hope I that know. I didn't say something like it. I'll tell you, I'll Google it Google afterwards, it sure. but I feel like maybe yeah. I'd be the person who should be offended by that. And I don't feel particularly offended right now. So I think- like Mayonnaise on white bread, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so that's something I will not respond to and I will mute that person and move on. Cause mm -hmm. 
um like I get crazy stuff all the time yeah and one if I will usually respond if it's someone like in the industry or someone who I know people know like somebody who Mm -hmm. I feel like um if they if if it's something negative I, I I should respond to them engage with them on that level but a lot of people too it's kind of like i i know one some people just want it right they want that level of engagement and and i don't really care about that side of it people always say don't feed the trolls i'm like i don't what it's not going to affect his life he doesn't get he doesn't get followers or anything out of it generally though i i will only dunk on someone if i feel like i can make a good joke Okay. Or um, illustrate something that's happening that other people might not be aware of, if that makes sense. I actually try to do it less, but or I've tried over the years to do it not too often. But um, a lot of times when I meet younger women in our industry, they tell me that they like feel happy that someone's standing up for themselves and it, like ins- mm-hmm. they like it. So I don't know. It, I'm like thinking out loud now. I haven't really thought through my process, so to speak. The other, the worst thing you can do too is get dragged into losing time, uh, yeah, because yeah. then that person is truly won if they've commanded, you know, a good chunk of your time and energy. So if I can thread the needle between not much time, can make a good joke, I think other people might learn something out of it. Then I'll go for it. And I like that you said the mute button there too, because I'm like a new introduction. I saw, I think you, maybe you and was it Harry Lyle? Was it Harry that you were talking to maybe on Twitter about this? I'm a big muter. Yeah. I see, I was forever. Muted. Yeah, forever. I was just blocking, blocking, blocking. And then I realized, wait, I'm losing followers because of this. And I could just let these people shout into the void instead. And now, like, nothing, like, I love that feeling. And you get so many more replies and everything than I do because you have a billion followers on there. But like, seeing like three replies and it only shows me one of them because I know the other two are from people that have muted is just one of the best feelings for me now. Something that I see a lot too is like someone I work like usually it's women, not always people will quote tweet someone like negatively. And so often I can't see it because it's somebody I've already muted. And that's when you know you've, your calibrations are, you know, you nailed it. Yeah. They were doing a pretty good job there. So uh, I asked Twitter for like questions and a bunch of people said if you just want to like elaborate on kind of like what your deal is with like the X-Men animated series and your and your feelings on that. <laughs> uh, it's just a show I like. It was okay. my favorite show as a kid. And then for some reason, my listeners to my football podcast are like obsessed with asking me questions about it. Like, so the, the, my football show, we do a mailbag in the middle and it's usually X's and O's questions. Cause I, I don't know if you've ever, it's a football show. Yes, I have listened. Yes. Okay. If you don't like football, you would not like it. I feel like it'd be a pretty tough listen if you have zero interest in football. Uh huh. Um, (laughs) But then randomly, I don't know. Once I start answered one X Men question, I just started getting them all the time, and now I get such detailed questions about the X Men all the time. And do you find yourself having to go do research on it now so you can adequately answer them, or? shoot from the hip because I remember it pretty well. I mm. guess it's like they memed me. Is that, did I, is that correct? Just, I don't know. I if think so. Correct. Yeah, is no, like they, they've memed, yeah. Away my own listeners. The other thing that they often do is uh, accuse me of silencing my own dog. 
so. Okay. Yeah. So what's up? What's that up? What's up with that? Is that? So he used to ask a question at the end, and I used to do his voice, but uh-huh. then I had Matt Hassel back on, and I was too ashamed to do it in front of him, so I phased it out, and they revolted. That's the joys of having a committed following right there, right? See, like, that's the beautiful thing with this podcast is there's no expectations. Like, I didn't do a podcast for three weeks and I got, like, two tweets and I'm like, oh, this is pretty nice. Glad to know people really missed. Although I didn't lose subscribers somehow, but maybe I'll lose them when I come back and they remember that I exist. But it is nice to have the low bar, no expectations, no sponsors, no affiliation, because you can yeah. really just, you know, roll how you want here. Exactly. Um, one of my favorite things on Twitter probably be like the last thing we talk about here. One of my favorite things on Twitter was just your general horror level recently when the Levitard show ran the poll about people peeing in the shower. So do you just kind of care to comment on that entire thing that went down there? And why you were you shocked that was a shocking revelation for you? Or what was that I about? I couldn't believe it was so many. I don't know. It was like 80% of people said they peed yeah. in the shower. And I may have read it wrong. Like the way I read that was I like people do it on the reg. Because, like, you know, I was like, yeah, I assume many people have done it at some point or another. But something about the way I read it, and I, I believe I was proven correct by the way people responded, that this is a habit for people, not just an occasional occurrence. For many, um, it seemed, yeah, I went down that list and um, was antagonizing as I was, I was bored. I, I think that was before I started working again. Um, so I have nothing, nothing better to do. But I believe I, you know, it's it's for some people, it seemed like it's like, they would wait and rather pee in the shower than they would yes, pee before the shower again. And that was troubling. Like, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I've peed in the shower before. But what was troubling to me was the idea, like, you know what? Let me hold it and then get in the shower. That feels like an issue to me. It feels like something that maybe deeper is going on there. Yeah, it's a decision. Like, I like this better. And then here's the thing. I kept getting all, oh, it's better for the environment. Oh, it's sterile. Oh, you got environmental shamed? Okay, the environment thing might be true. I don't know, whatever. But and I'm sure barely versus flushing. But I'm sure it's also true, like not use toilet paper and use your like a rag or something. Shower, true, it's but, using a yeah. ton of water. So, yeah. but here's the thing: this whole issue that it's like sterile. They're like, oh, the water just runs it down the drain. At some point, if you pee in the shower, your piss is touching your feet. It's gonna oh, absolutely, happen. yeah. And people are acting like it doesn't happen. And physics, like. It just happens. You're you're letting your feet marinate in your own urine. And if you combine that with, I don't know, this I want this was like years ago on Twitter that it became like a big thing. I want to say like maybe 2016 was when someone ran a poll and it was like 90% of people that like answered it said that they like don't specifically wash their feet in their shower in the shower. It's just like whatever water oh, runs off, legs. like never wash so like yeah, or wash their legs, I believe it was. Like, no, people are like, I don't wash my legs. The water just like runs down my legs, which I, my brother's actually sitting in this room right now with me. And I remember him saying that. So shame on you. Um, but the, I like, you combine that with the idea that they're also kind of like marinating slash like basting their feet in the pee that they're doing in the shower. That's really not a great visual. Basically, there. it means a ton of Americans are just walking around with pee feet. Pee feet. <laughs> that, I think, I think we just got the title of the episode there. Um, so this is the part where I have you plug your much more successful things that you definitely don't need to on my show. But where can people find you? Like, what are what are you up to? Where where, uh, where can people check out your stuff, Mina Kimes? Sure, I'm uh, on Twitter at Mina Kimes. Um, I've I'm hosting two podcasts, ESPN Daily, which is a daily show, different sports story every day. It's about twenty minutes, and then the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. I'm actually wearing the hat right now, which I is love that hat. Not, not a cool move, but. Um, <laughs> 
it, it fortunately only has Lenny's face, not mine. Cause I feel like wearing something with your own visage on it is an extremely, it would be even less cool than wearing this hat. Yeah, when I was like making a logo for the show. Oh wait, no, my face is on the logo on my show. Never mind. So your face like, is literally the head opening up, and your yeah. ideas coming out. But that was one of my one of my interns came up with that idea. So I like he I was I want to knock down one of my interns. Oh, yeah, I have four interns. They don't do. They don't. I have four interns. Um, I mean, I put out like as a joke because I was bored, and I put out like, oh, anyone want to like enter like. And then I made a joke like, oh, does, uh, can I hire an intern to like look through the intern application? I got 173 people applied to be the meme goofin meme intern. And then the other intern was like the vibes intern whose job it was to just kind of vibe. And I, yeah, so we're a pretty interesting oh. group. We have a nice group chat going on Twitter. It's four college kids. So it's been good. Oh, that's crazy. I want an intern, but I feel like working at ESPN, I'd have to go through human resources and it'd be like a whole thing. Again, um, another joy being a non-affiliated show here. Yeah, no, I respect that. Um, and then otherwise, I'm just on on around the horn, highly questionable on ESPN. All right. So quickly now, the show's like actually done. My parents want to say hi because they love you. So is that okay if they say, oh, you have a question? Yeah. Hi. Hello. You Wait, let me. How are you? Um, hi, I like your shirt. Hello. Hello. All right. What's your question that you have done? Actually, uh, I want you to continue to roast Bailey any chance you get. The more Twitter followers he gets, the cockier he gets, and it's upon you to knock him down a peg. So please keep doing that. You don't have to shout. We appreciate that. Thank Sorry. You. Yeah, remember when I uh, roasted you and then it turned out to be accurate, as your parents pointed out? Yes, it yeah, was. Very accurate. Yeah. So we so. appreciate that. Keep him in line. Thank yeah, we you. think it's really funny. So thank you. Nice right. to meet you. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mina. Yeah, I know, right? Um, Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Um, appreciate you with it. For this week's random Twitter follower, we have absolutely no one because I didn't get anyone. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. We are going to be back to doing this every week. Have some awesome guests lined up. Looking forward to it. See you soon.